Today we're going to read Paul's personal testimony. I think the, the most remarkable conversion experience in the history of the world is when the Apostle Paul, who was then known as Saul, a Jewish rabbi, met Jesus as his personal Savior. It is a thrilling story. And here's a man, here's a man who's been persecuting the church one moment and the next he is preaching Jesus Christ. Now, there's a sense in which Paul's testimony, his personal testimony, stands out as one of the most remarkable transformations and changes in the history of the world. And so Paul was constantly giving this testimony. He was sharing his testimony. Three times in the book of Acts, he, he tells us what happened the day he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. And here he gives us his personal testimony. I'm preaching through the book of Galatians, and we're still in Galatians chapter 1. My wife asked me last night, she said, it took you two weeks for 10 verses? I said, I know, I'm going to try to cover uh, 13 verses today. And she said, oh, those poor people. She said, Alan, you should know better than try to cover 13 verses out of Galatians. It is, it is so much. But every person who has been saved has a personal testimony. I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and just ask the question, do you have a personal testimony? It's okay. You can talk to them. They won't bite. Okay, now some of you, some of you are ready to share that testimony, you see, because every believer ought to tell the story of Jesus, what Jesus has done in our life, and, and we ought to do it with such great enthusiasm and with, with such fervor. I mean, we, we can talk about everything. But sometimes when we, we, we start talking about what Jesus has done in our lives, we get a little timid, don't we? We get a little shy. In the verses that we're going to read, Paul shares his testimony for a very special reason. His purpose in telling his testimony is to demonstrate what God had done in his life in a very personal, a very intimate, a very independent experience between him and God. There were those who were saying, Paul, you are not a legitimate apostle. Uh, they, they would say that your message is not the real thing. So Paul, what he is doing right now is he is taking us down on the inside and showing us what happened when Jesus Christ came into his life. Do you remember that day? Do you remember that time when Jesus became real to you, when, when it was more than just religion, it was more than just church attendance, it was more than just a, a, a habit or a religious experience, it was reality, it was a relationship. Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, is real. And he wants to live out that life, that exchange life through us. Galatians chapter one, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he 
who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. You know, there are several steps in Paul's personal testimony that, that are given in these verses. And the first thing that I want to communicate and call your attention to is Paul's past conduct. Paul is saying that his salvation was not by human tradition or human instruction, but by divine revelation. And when you see that word revelation in the scripture, you must always remember that it refers to truth, which is given by God to the soul of man. Truth, which God gives to a man that he cannot obtain in any other way except by God. Look at what he says, verse 13, my former life, and then he uses the, uh, and by the way, my former life can be translated my personal behavior. In other words, what, what turns up in your life every day? What is a consistent pattern of your life? What, what is your lifestyle? What, what, what comes up every day in your life? Paul is talking about his past conduct his former life. He's talking about B.C., before Christ came into his life. Well, there were two characterizations. There were two things that were very, very prevalent in Paul's life before he came to Christ. The first was he persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was engaged in an absolute fury of activity trying to stamp out the church of Jesus. Paul was so deeply steeped in Judaism, Paul believed that, that his way was the only way. And so when Jesus came along saying, I'm the only way, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me, Paul got upset, and, and when a, a group of people dared to say that Jesus, this Jesus, whom his, his religion had put him on a cross and crucified, was alive again, Paul couldn't stand it. Paul got upset. I mean, he got mad. And so Paul determined he would eliminate the church of Jesus Christ. Now, please grasp this today. Everywhere that Saul went, Paul, he went, he was persecuting Christians. Listen to what he said. I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. In some translations, uh, of the New Testament, the word there is translated wasted. The Greek word here is a very picturesque word. It means to root out. I don't know if you've ever tried to, 
to root out weeds in your flower beds or to root out trees that don't belong where, but once they gain root, they can be very, very, very stubborn. Paul is using, and in, in writing this, he used this word, it was used of an army that would go in and completely ravage a city. Whenever he went to a worship service, when he got through with it, it looked like everything was torn into pieces. He was a wild man. He was filled with fervor and frenzy in his determination to wipe out the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Had Saul walked in this building this morning, he would have begun to wipe out. He would have tried to so intimidate you and, and to wipe you out, to kill you. That was, his, that was his mission. What Paul was trying to do, ladies and gentlemen, was wipe the church of Jesus Christ out. But listen to me this morning. It was an impossibility. You can't wipe out the church of the resurrected Lord. And so there are still those who are trying to defeat and dismantle the church of Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Please get the understanding that, that, that today we need, to, we need to hear this in this church. First Bradenton, you need to hear this today. The picture there is not that the, the gates of hell are storming us. We're standing at the gates of hell, and we are bombarding those gates. Listen to me this morning. This church has a great future, has a great day ahead of you. I understand and know that oftentimes, I know some of you said to me, man, last week we heard that we only have 40% of our budget pledged. That's 40% that you didn't have pledged before it was said. Do you not think that God can handle the other 75%? You say, wait a minute, 40 and 60. I just believe God does everything over and above. See, I got some of you, because some of you were hoping for 60, and I'm hoping for 75 or 80 more percent. So we can do some other things, like maybe go on mission somewhere. Boy, it got quiet in here. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. We should not be discouraged. God's church is alive and well. Paul, as Saul, tried to stamp it out. And anything that Jesus starts, no man is going to be able to stop it. I've even heard, I've even heard, uh, you know, I've, I've had folks say to me before, listen, I, I just don't believe it's God's will that the church grows. Show me that in the New Testament. You know what? You can't do it. God gave his only son. Jesus is the head of this church. He is alive and well. And the church of Jesus Christ was born in the blood of Christ and will exist through the ages of time because the church is built upon the deity of Jesus Christ himself. The second thing he says that he did in his past was he was pursuing religion. He persecuted the church, and then he pursued religion. Listen to what he said in verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Jews' religion is called Judaism. 
Judaism, as Paul describes it in this statement, is simply the teachings of men superimposed upon the Old Testament scriptures. Man is incurably religious. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you are religious. <laughs> this is what Paul is trying to point out to us, that religion, though, and I want you to turn to your neighbor now and say, religion is not salvation. There you go. All right, some of you got, man, you got, you, your wood kind of lit up there. Some of your wood's wet today, but, but, but you, I'm trying to light a fire underneath you, you know? You, some of you have not heard that southern saying that your wood is wet, okay? But listen, he is trying to show us that you can be as religious as you possibly can be and still be lost and on your way to hell. I've known many religious people. In fact, throughout Scripture, when you study Scripture, you go to the book of John chapter 3, and you look at Nicodemus. Nicodemus was religious. He was religious, but he said to Jesus, how can I, how can I be born again? How can I enter into the kingdom? He knew everything he could know about religion. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care about your religion. I really don't. I don't even want you to be a religious people. I want you to be a relational people. I want you to have such a relationship with Jesus Christ that it is he who you talk about. It is his word that you talk about. And so here's the picture. Paul is on his way to persecute believers and on the Damascus turnpike, heading down there to tell those believers that they're in great error. And God comes on the scene and he does something that changes Paul's past life, Saul, his past life altogether. This is Paul's past life, his conduct. Then he moves on. Look what he says secondly. In verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Now we see Paul's powerful change. We see his past life and what he did in that before Christ. But now we see the present. Paul describes his own transformation, his own change, and in his description we gain an insight as to what salvation is really all about. In the book of Acts, he describes his his testimony from the outside. In this chapter, he talks about his testimony from the inside. He takes us right inside of his heart, and he shows us this is what took place. There are three basic elements in salvation. They're given in these verses. Here we go, verse 15. The salvation change from the inside is supernatural. Paul doesn't start at the Damascus Road, but he begins in eternity past. Before you ever existed or were ever thought of on this earth, the Bible says that back there in eternity, God loved you with an everlasting love. Ladies and gentlemen, that has not changed. God loves you with an everlasting love. And the, this is the, Paul's way of saying salvation is of the Lord. Listen, God has a plan for your life. 
I'm so glad I get to preach and get to share that with you. Because you see, when Paul says, he set me apart, he is saying, I get it, God, you have a purpose for me. I want you to get that this morning. Every student here, every adult, every senior adult, every mom, every dad, I want you to hear this this morning. God has a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. But then secondly, not only is salvation supernatural, that it's of the Lord, but salvation is revelational or it's internal. To reveal, listen to what Paul said, to reveal his son in me. Salvation is an inside job. This is a difference between religion and salvation. A lot of times people say, well, you're a Baptist. Now please understand, I'm more than a Baptist. I'm a Southern Baptist. Okay? But I want to I tell you something. Sometimes we get caught up with all that. Can I tell you what I am first? I'm a believer. I'm a Christ follower. That's who I am. Now, why are you a Southern Baptist? Because I believe we're people of the book. That's why I'm a Southern Baptist. But I can guarantee you this. If Southern Baptists ever decide not to go with the book, I'm going with the book. Okay? Now, you can get mad at me. You can say, oh, he's not a loyal Southern Baptist. I, listen, I've been a loyal Southern Baptist all my life, but I am much more of a loyal Christ follower. I am not, I am not overwhelmed with the hierarchy of Southern Baptist. I'm not overwhelmed by it. Again, please don't walk at her going, oh, he's, he's being mean to Southern. No, I'm not. I am a faithful, I, I, I'm a cooperative program card-carrying member, okay? I get it. I get it. But I want you to understand something. A lot of times, that stuff gets in the way. I ask people all the time, talk to me about your relationship with Jesus. And they say, well, I've been a Southern Baptist. So that's not what I ask. I'm asking you, do you understand that salvation is revelational, that it's internal? But then look what he says. That I may, might preach him among the Gentiles. Salvation is evangelical. Here's what Paul is saying. The moment I got saved, I became an evangelical. I became an evangelist. I started telling people about my salvation. I started preaching that Paul was so changed that he wanted to tell everybody to be changed like he was. Has, has that change occurred in your life? Well, I heard one. Man, I may be preaching to a, an audience. I may, maybe we need to give the altar call right now. Has that change occurred in your life? Amen? Whew. Man, we ought, to, we ought to be shouting by now. For you see, that there, follow me carefully, there was his past conduct. That's who he was in B.C. Now this change has taken place in his life when God revealed his son in him. And now the third thing, look at it. I want to point out to you, Paul's personal context, because there is a sense in which every believer is dependent upon every other believer. Uh-oh. What'd you just say, Pastor? I just said that we need each other. We need one another. We, we need the support and the fellowship and the, the koinonia. We, we need... We need 
the relationship with each other. I've got to have that and you've got to have that. That's what makes the church powerful and strong is that when we come together, when we come together, now, now look what Paul says. He says, but there is also another sense in which every believer, well, I'm going to throw a curveball at you, is independent in that God deals with each of us as individuals. So we need each other, but then God deals with us oftentimes as individuals independently. So he talks about that for just a moment. He mentions four different time periods in his life. There are four different contexts. Contacts. The first one is Arabia. Well, look at verse 16. Was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Arabia was a stinking desert. Ladies and gentlemen, why did Paul go to the desert? I believe he went there to get his bearings. His whole theology had been shattered. Judaism. I mean, he was, he was, he was so steeped in it. His whole religion had been blasted into a million pieces. So he had to reconstruct some things. He had to put this thing back together. He had to see what had taken place in his life. Many a great person in Scripture ha have had desert experiences. You remember Moses? <laughs> what a desert experience. I mean, he's standing there talking to a bush that's burning. Elijah? Paul went into Arabia with Moses and the prophets in his knapsack, and he came out with Romans and Galatians in his heart. He had to get alone with God. Do you ever have to do that? I do. There are times when I have to go to Arabia. Now, I don't, I don't necessarily go to Arabia. I might go to the, the beach by myself or go to a park or go somewhere. A lot of times I can't go to my office. I can't necessarily, you know, come to church here because, uh, you know, people, they, they want to see you. They want to talk to you. That guy. There are times when I, I don't need to see anybody. I need to get along with God. Let him speak to me. But, but notice this. There was another place, Damascus. So he went from the desert to Damascus right back to where he was known. He was known as who? Saul. It took courage to do that. Remember, remember they got after him. They put him in a basket and let him down over the wall. And Paul went right back where folks knew him to test out this new faith. That took courage. I'm from the, the town. I grew up in the town of Metropolis, Illinois, the home of Superman. Yeah, there's a big Superman statue there. There's a Superman museum there. It's not that great, but I always tell people about it. I always thought, well, wouldn't it be great if one day I could come back to this, because when I was growing up, I thought it was a big town. It's not. My dad pastored Emmanuel Baptist Church there when I was in middle school and high school and a portion of my college years, and, and uh, I just thought, 
it, it's, it's the greatest little town in all of Illinois. And I thought, boy, it would be quite a deal if I could come back and pastor the first Baptist church in Metropolis. Well, they called me one time and said, we're looking for a pastor. And uh, I thought, wow, this might be a great opportunity. And so I sent him my resume, and I, I didn't hear anything. And about six months later, I got this letter that said, Dear Applicant. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I was not an applicant. They called me. It wasn't three years ago that the pastor of that church called me and said, I want you to come and preach a revival. I said, I would love to. <laughs> Minister of worship there, the worship pastor is a good friend of mine. And, and it, it just so happened that I got there and the pastor's mother-in-law passed away in Virginia and he was not able to be there. So I was there the whole, I was there, I was there Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for a, a group of meeting, a revival. And, and I had the grandest time. But can I tell you, after I preached there for four days, I said, thank you, God. Because, you know, not, not that they were not, they were lovely people, great people, wonderful building, absolutely phenomenal worship. But most of those people in that church that had known me knew me as little Alan Spear that grew up playing football as a Metropolis Trojan. And they knew me. And many of those people that would come in, oh, you dated my daughter. And what was her name? No, no. I just, <laughs> man, I tell you what, it's hard to go back to where they knew you when you were growing up. And then, and then one of them told me, said, oh, I remember something you did. Oh, great. My wife had said, Jennifer said, they're going, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. I said, you were one of those three kids your senior year that got on a ladder out on Interstate 57 and painted the sign where it says, Welcome to Kentucky. You painted it, Welcome to Kentucky. I said, yeah, that was me. That was me. And we got in a boatload of trouble for it. And that was me. Sometimes when you go back to where you have been, back to where you grew up, you know what they remember? They remember before Christ. They remember, and by the way, I was a Christian then. That just means that Christians can sin, okay? But, but I will tell you that when Paul went back to Damascus, they knew him. They thought about him as he was. The third place is this. After three years, the Bible says in verse 18, he went up to Jerusalem. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain there 15 days. And the word visit here in the Greek is the word history. It means to get the history or to learn by inquiry. This is a rich, this is rich if you get a hold of this. He went to, to Peter to say, tell me everything you know about Jesus. I want to know more. Man, he, he sat down at the feet of Cephas and he said, Cephas, more, more, more about Jesus. Tell me more. And then in verse 21, it says they went to Syria and Cilicia. And the reason he went back to Tarsus was 
he went preaching. Paul spent several years back there in obscurity. He was just preaching. Paul methodically preached the message of the good news. Let me tell you something. If Jesus has saved you and called you to serve him, and by the way, if he's saved you, he is calling you to serve him. I want to make sure you hear that this morning because some of you just believe that, oh, well, I got my salvation. Now I'm going to sit and kind of soak. No, it's not the way it works. If Jesus has saved you, he has saved you to serve him. So you need to find your place of service. Well, pastor, I'm I'm way up in years now. Then there's a place for you to become one of the prayer warriors. There's a place for you to be equipped to teach. There's a place for you to work with students. There's a place for you to work over in the first kids' building. There's a place for you to serve in some committee capacity in this, in this body. There's a place for you to serve the homeless. There's a place for you to serve. Stop sitting and start serving because you're never going to grow until you start serving. By the way, that wasn't in my notes, but it's free and it's smart. And I will tell you something, that most churches, most churches will begin to decline when people stop serving and say, let's let the staff do it all. You can't hire enough staff to do it all. It's not their job to do it all. You can't hire a pastor to do it all. It's not his job to do it all. It is their job, it is our job to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And that's, my dear church, what God has called me to share with you and to communicate with you on an ongoing basis as your transitional pastor. I mean, if Jesus has saved you and called you to serve him, you don't have the, uh, the official, uh, you don't have to have the official approval of, of anyone. You've already got it. Say, wait a minute. Wait a minute, pastor. You mean God is calling me to do something? Absolutely. And if you need help, in discovering that, that's what I'm here for. That's what Pastor John's here for. That's what Pastor Doug is here for, to help you discover. Sometimes people think they should be serving on the worship team when they shouldn't be. And we can help you with that. Okay? Sometimes people think that they have a gift for something that they really don't. We'll help you discover what your giftedness is. But listen, don't, don't just sit and soak. Get involved. You see, serve Jesus in your way, and God will use you, and God will bless you. He will. You know this song, don't you? This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. We know that is blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. This is Paul's story. What's your story? What's your testimony? This is what God is doing in Paul's life. What is God doing in your life? God wants an oak tree. 
God wants you to be strong and solid and stable for him. So just serve him. Stay in his word. I love it when people, and people, I've noticed, I've noticed folks bringing their Bibles, opening their Bibles, getting ready for the message. Stay in God's word and let God do what he wants to do in and through you. Look at the last verse and I'm done. And they glorified God because of me. Do you know why they could glorify God in him? It is because verse 16 is true. They glorified God in Paul because Jesus was in Paul. Can you see Jesus in those around you? That would be a pretty good epitaph on a grave. And they glorified God because of me. This is what the salvation experience is intended to do. This is Paul's story. It is intended to bring Jesus into your heart and life, and you live in such a way that people will glorify God because of your life. I pray that that would be so in my life. I'm not interested in folks saying Alan Spear did this or Alan Spear did that. I would much rather say we saw Jesus in Alan Spear. And this is what Jesus did through him. We're remodeling at Agape Flights a little bit. And uh, some of you are aware that just recently, Clara Starkey, one of our two remaining founders uh, went on to be with the Lord. And Keith and Clara were remarkable people, members of this church, visionaries. They saw things you know, back in the 80s about missions aviation that most people never dreamed about. And, but they were just two ordinary but wonderful, wonderful servants dedicated to the Lord. Clara would always say when I would say to her and Keith, one of these days, we're going to have a picture of you all as you, op as you come into our front lobby here. And she would say, oh, no, don't do that. You'll ruin the decor. <laughs> well, this week we hung that picture of her and Keith. We had a great picture of the last trip that they took with us to Haiti. And they were there sorting mail for missionaries and it's a big picture that says our founders and really gives tribute to their vision and what God used them to begin in 1980. And we glorify God because of them. We glorify God because Jesus lived through them. They founded Agape Flights, and if you know anything, we, our mission is to share the unconditional love of Jesus Christ, to equip and to, to, to help missionaries, supply missionaries to share the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. I pray that this church today would say it's a new day. As we move forward, I want to encourage you to be a part of the March 15th roundtable. I know some of you have been to the first two. The third one is a culmination of those first two, but it will also 
the trans, uh, transitional team will be giving and sharing a vision statement for the days ahead for this body to be able to not only attach themselves to, but to be able to share and communicate clearly. This is why we exist. I want to encourage you. Make that evening a priority. I want to see every one of you there. Because if we will together start that and can continue moving forward, God can do nothing but bless this body. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. I want to make sure this morning.